Good evening, church. How's everybody doing this evening? How's everybody doing this evening? There we go. Glad to be here with you all. Uh, grateful that you've come to worship with us. Uh, we are beginning this evening episode nine of our summer series called Wanderers and Wrestlers. We're going through the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We've spent time over the summer looking into the life of Abraham and Sarah. The last couple weeks, we looked into Isaac's life very briefly, and this evening, we're going to dive deeper into the life of Jacob. So Isaac's, uh, Isaac's father is Abraham, and Jacob's father is Isaac. He has a twin, and we'll see what transpires after where we left off last week. The title of the sermon this evening is Rocks of Pain, Stones of Praise. Can I get an Amen. You don't even know why you're saying them, and I just said it. Thank you. Rocks of pain, stones of praise. And here's why, okay? So there's a difference between rocks and stones. Did you know this? Rocks and stones are two different things, but they are made of the same thing. So they're the same but different. Here is a rock. A rock is made of a collection of stones, but a stone is made from a rock. Confused? Okay. Yes, let me break it down, okay? A rock is made of a collection of stones. However, what is, a, what is a rock? It is rough, it is heavy, it is oftentimes in the large form immovable. It's in the earth. While a stone is something that is polished, smooth, typically light and small, and very movable because it's made from a rock. It's transformed out of a rock. It's cut off from a rock and made to be something different, but also something valuable. You see, rocks have less value than stones, for stones are valuable. We don't put rocks on our countertops, right? We put stones, marble, and granite, and quartz, but I think that's synthetic. I'm not really sure what quartz is. It's something else, maybe. I'm not sure. It's a stone of sorts but it's great. So rocks and stones are different. You may be asking, okay, why are you giving the geology lesson? Like this is a sermon, you know? Here's why. I want to give you a snapshot into what God is teaching Jacob here in Genesis chapter 28, where we're going to be working through God's word this evening together, but also the message and the teaching that he gives to us. For the lesson given to Jacob is the same one given to us. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a sneak peek because we're going to work our way verse by verse through this passage together. And here's what you're going to see. Every rock that is hard and rough and uncomfortable and feels as if it's immovable and large, every rock will become a stone polished and small and smooth and of great value. Everything in your life that feels insignificant and, and it feels nameless and it feels difficult, it will be transformed by God's grace into something polished and beautiful and valuable and something that has a name and a place in your story. 
This is exactly what happens with Jacob. And this is what happens in our lives too if we have the eyes of faith to see what God is doing and what he'll continue to do. So let me kind of bring you up to speed. Last week we left off with Jacob stealing the blessing from his older brother. His brother's name is Esau. They are twins, but Esau was the first one born. So he is the firstborn. He is supposed to receive a blessing from his father, Isaac, who is about to die. But Jacob, because he and his mother had a conspiracy or had a, a, a scheme to steal the blessing, Jacob pretends to be Esau, steals the blessing from Isaac and from his brother, and everything falls apart. This blessing that Jacob steals is binding so his father cannot take it back and then give it to Esau when he realizes the ruse between Jacob and Rebekah. So now Jacob has the blessing that God gave to Abraham and was passed down to Isaac and was supposed to go to Esau, but now Jacob has it upon his shoulders. It's his mantle to carry. And now something that Jacob has done because he believed it was good, it was for his benefit, has absolutely ruined his life. Because he has to flee. You see, when Esau comes back, he's not too happy that his brother stole his blessing. And so he wants to murder him. So what happens is his father, Isaac, and his mother, Rebekah, say, you have to leave. And he is kicked out. He's cut off from the family. He has to leave his homeland, Beersheba, and go to a foreign land to foreign people he's never met and a place he's never been, Haran. He is literally running away from death. And he's going to a place that is foreign. He is all alone. He has nothing to his name except for this blessing that is upon his life that he stole from his brother and deceived his father. This is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 28. And here's what God's word says, starting in verse 10. Verse 10 and 11 says, Jacob left Beersheba. That's his home where he's born and raised. His family's there. And he went towards Haran, a foreign place. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones or the rocks of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Let's stop there. A couple things to notice here. Jacob is on this journey from Beersheba, his homeland, to a foreign land, Haran. He stops in a place that has no name. It is a nameless place. It's a particular location, but it has no name. It's of no significance. Now, Jacob doesn't know it yet, but he's between two very difficult periods in his life. One he knows about, which is his brother wants to murder him, and he's been cut off from his family. So he's between that and the people that he will go spend time with, which is actually his mother's uncle. They are going to exploit him. So he's between death and exploitation. He doesn't know it yet, but that's what he is sitting between. He knows he's running from death and the loss of family, and he's alone. And he goes to this nameless place, and the sun is set, so it's nighttime. He lays his head on a rock and goes to sleep. Now, in the next few verses, you're going to see that God is going to encounter Jacob. But I wanted to pause here so you could see something. God is going to encounter Jacob in a very particular way, at night with his head on a rock. Why? Because God meets Jacob in his psychological state. See, this is how he's feeling. The Bible is very intentional with every word and every symbolism that is connected to certain words. So, for instance, night in the Bible is oftentimes symbolizing evil or fear or brokenness or weakness or sin. 
So it's at night that he goes to sleep and his head is upon a rock. Well, what is a rock? If your head is on a rock, it's not very comfortable. It's painful. It's not a great way to sleep. So how is Jacob feeling? What is his psychological state, his current state? He's weak. He's uncomfortable. He's in pain. He's alone. He's broken. He's fearful. All because of the decisions he made to steal the blessing. He's cut off. And he's running. This is where God meets him. And this is significant. In a nameless place with a random rock under his head. Remember that. So as he sleeps, here's what we read. Verse 13, or verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is affectionately called Jacob's ladder. Check out Jacob's ladder. Here it is right here. There it is. Jacob's ladder. You see that? Have you ever seen one of these before? I've never seen this in my life. I guess this is like a Christian gym. You know, all the workout equipment is connected to the Bible. We've got Jacob's ladder. we got Party in the Red Sea. They have that one too. they got a lot of them. Just joking. Let me show you another picture. Here's another famous depiction of the ladder that he dreams about. So if you look at the picture, it's oftentimes when the, the ladder is pictured in art, it's a ladder that we would use maybe to climb a tree or to get on top of a house. But really, the, the Hebrew word for ladder is more of a staircase, like a minaret, like a spiral staircase. doesn't really matter because that's not the key to the passage. The key to the passage is that there is something, a ladder, staircase, connecting heaven and earth. So he's sleeping there in a nameless place with his head on a rock, and he has this dream that there is this connection point between heaven and earth. And on the ladder... Descending and ascending are angels. Now this is also significant because Jacob understands who angels are. They are messengers. They're emissaries of God. They bring the word of God. They bring the message of God. They execute the will of God. They push forward the plans of God. They protect God's people. They work on behalf of God. So remember where Jacob is. He's broken. He's uncomfortable. He's in pain. He's alone, he's running to something he can't even imagine, a foreign place away from his family, and he has a dream at the very beginning of it, he sees that heaven and earth is connected, and there are angels all around him bringing messages, working out God's will. You see, something spiritually significant is happening, even at the very beginning of the dream, that has to be deeply comforting to Jacob, which is... Heaven and earth are still connected. God is still near. The messages of God and the will of God is still happening and taking place all around him. He has not been fully cut off. Maybe he's cut off from his family, but he's not cut off from God, for there is a ladder right near him that is connecting heaven and earth. There's this entanglement between these two realities, and heaven and earth have angels ascending and descending, bringing these messages all around him. He's not alone. He wasn't able to see the angels, but in this dream, they are surrounding him. It has to feel deeply comforting to his soul to know this as he's in this nameless place with his head upon a random rock. Maybe he thinks for a moment that everything isn't ruined. 
I have to imagine when he's running, he thinks, I really wish I never stole the blessing because I've lost everything. I've ruined everything. Maybe God will never speak to me. Maybe I'll never experience the blessings of God again. How, how, why would God work in my life? Look what I've done as he's alone. And then he, at the very beginning of the dream, sees heaven and earth connected all around him and angels bringing messages of hope and love and peace before him. And then in the dream, God speaks. Here's what it says in verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Let's stop there. Jacob is in a nameless place a place of no significance, and yet here in this moment, when God speaks, there's a, a lot happening just here. God comes to Jacob, and he speaks to him. He's over the ladder. He's above it all. He's above heaven and earth. He is the king of all reality, and yet he looks to Jacob, and he speaks to him, and he tells him, actually, this place that you're at, which is of no significance and has no name, I'm going to give to you. There's a lot that has to be happening in his mind and rooting deep in his heart at this moment through this dream. God is near to him. God is speaking to him. God is over everything around him, including heaven and earth itself. He's sustaining it. He's upholding it. He's working in the lives of Jacob and everyone else. And God is still faithful for part of the promise that God gave to Abraham, given to Isaac, now given to Jacob, is that God was going to give a land for God's people to flourish and multiply so they could be a blessing to the nations. God hasn't left him. You see, even though his actions were despicable, to deceive his father on his deathbed and cheat his brother out of his blessing, even though what he did was so wrong, God has not abandoned him. He has not terminated the blessing that he promised he would fulfill. In fact, he reveals four very specific things to Jacob here. Things that Jacob needs to know, but you need to know too about God. First, God is transcendent. He is over all, above all. He's over the ladder. God is not on the ladder. He's over the ladder. God one day will come down on the ladder the person of Christ, but he is over all. He's the king of all. Secondly, God is eminent. Though he is transcendent, he is also eminent. He is near. He is close. Thirdly, he is personal. God is not an impersonal energy. He is a being, and he speaks to Jacob in a very personal way. And fourth, God is faithful. See, he's overall, he's near to Jacob, he's personal, and he speaks to Jacob, and then he reassures Jacob that he is going to be faithful to the promises that were given to him. Even though he stole them, the blessing he will still be faithful to. He did not destroy the blessing. He did not terminate God's care for him. In fact, God has not handed him over to anyone else's care, nor has God left Jacob to his own care. He is going to give him the land. He is speaking to him. He is near to him. Imagine that as he's in a place of discomfort and brokenness and despairing and depression and shame, weak. 
God is overall, he's near to him, he's speaking to him, and he's faithful. You see, God meets Jacob in this very interesting place, and this nameless place with his head on a rock and a very broken part of his life. And he comes to him in this dream to reassure him that he's transcendent and eminent and personal and faithful. But I want to tell you something, and you need to hear this. You do not need to wait for a God dream to hear God's voice. You don't have to wait for a God dream to hear God's voice. You don't have to be like, you know what, I really want to hear God's voice. Let me go make my life real bad. Go sleep on a rock, okay? Don't got to do that, okay? You don't, you don't only hear God's voice when you're in a place of discomfort and pain and despairing and depression, but you can hear God's voice there too. You don't need to wait for a God dream to hear God's voice. See, God speaks loudly. He speaks loudly through other people. He speaks loudly to you, and sometimes we don't recognize it. He speaks loudly when we pray. He speaks loudly through the Holy Spirit, who's God himself working and living within us. He speaks loudly through his word. And everything that God has promised to you through his word, he will be faithful to. Do you know that? You have not terminated it. You have not destroyed it. You have not ruined your life. God has not handed you over like, I tried, but here you go, devil. Now he's yours or she's yours. Or like, okay, you want it your way? I'll just leave you over to yourself. If you believe in faith in Jesus Christ and you trust in the promises of God and you believe that God is transcendent and he is eminent and he's personal and he's faithful, even though sometimes you doubt it, God is going to be faithful to the promises he's given you. There are some promises I just want to read. There's so many. The Bible is full of them. But I want you to hear this. These promises are for you. It doesn't matter what your week was like or your month or your year. These promises are for you. You have not terminated them. Here's one. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's imminent. Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken and my covenant of peace will not be removed. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Here's what God does too. Some of us are in a place where we're just kind of seeking direction. God, what do you have for my life? What's the future of my life? Well, guess what Psalm 16 says? God makes known to you the path of life. He's going to tell you. Some of us are seeking wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, hey, if you seek wisdom, you should ask God. And he gives generously to everyone who asks. How about this one? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. See, there are so many promises of God that are for you, and it doesn't matter what you have done, who you have deceived, what actions have happened in your life. God is faithful to his promises. He's not faithful when you're un- because you're unfaithful, now God's going to be unfaithful. No, God is faithful. And he's reassuring this of Jacob, and I want you to hear this for you too, because he's faithful to you as well. You don't have to wait for a God dream. God will meet you now in this place through his word. His voice is loud. I wrote this this week, and I want to ask you if you're comfortable. I wrote this kind of prayer for myself, and uh, I want to just kind of read this over you. Um, as I'm writing on as if God is speaking to me. And so if you just receive this for a moment, here's what I believe God is saying to us. Just close your eyes if that helps you and hear this. God says this, I am your God. I am transcendent yet eminent. I am personally near to you, and I am faithful. 
don't for a second think that you can adjust my plans for you because of your flawed behavior. It doesn't work that way. My plan is to bless you and not curse you. My purpose for you is good. It's not to harm you. Trust me and listen to my word. Amen. You know, the psalmist, I I think he knew this deep because he wrote this, Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will. You may not see it right now. You may have a hard time understanding why you are in the place that you're in. It feels a place of insignificance. You feel directionless. You feel uncomfortable. You feel broken. You feel weak. You feel like the future is uncertain. You're running into a land that you don't know. Maybe you just moved here from somewhere else. You don't know anyone. You're in a foreign land. God is faithful. His purpose for you cannot be stopped by you. It cannot. And this is what he says to Jacob and what God wants Jacob to see and understand. But God wants Jacob to know that he looks on his state, his current position with compassion. He sees him where he's at. He sees him at his most basic level and he speaks to him in verse 15 and says this. Behold, I am with you. And you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Imagine how that felt for him. I will not leave you. I'm going to take you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will fulfill everything that I have promised. The word there says until, and that word until is like a little confusing. Oh, is that God's going to abandon him once he does everything? No, no, no. The word until is actually not talking about a situational change in his life. The word until is saying that God is unchanging. He is going to fulfill all of the promises. That's the truth. I hope you know that. You see, Jacob, as he allows this to sink in, that God is transcendent and he's imminent and he's personal and he's faithful. When this seeps into him, it changes him because God sees him in his psychological state, in his most basic level as he's broken and as he's hurting, as he's in pain. And he, God delivers him exactly what he needs to hear. God tells him, I have not abandoned you. You have not destroyed my good work for you. My purpose for you is still going to be brought to completion by me. I'm going to give you this land. This place that you thought was random and insignificant is going to become a place of significance for you. This is all given to him. He's seen. He's affirmed. He's encouraged by God as he's in this place. And here's what happens. I love this. This is the response when you really know who God is, when you really see him clearly in your life. Here is the response. Verse 16 and 17. Jacob awoke from his sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. How many times do we feel like that? God is in this place. I just didn't know it. He is in this place. I didn't know it. And he was afraid. But not afraid, fearful of God, out of reverence, out of awe, out of worship. Because look what he says next. How awesome is this place? This was nameless and insignificant. Now it's awesome. This, there, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. See, here's what happens. He wakes up a totally different Jacob. He goes to sleep despairing, depressed. 
God meets him in a dream. He teaches him who he is. He's transcendent. He's eminent. He's personal. And he's faithful. And he wakes up and rises a worshiping Jacob. That place that was nameless has now received a name. The next few verses says that Jacob calls that place Bethel. That means the house of God. Now this place has a name. It's of significance. And then he does something amazing. He takes the stone that he has his head on, that uncomfortable pillow causing pain and a crick in his neck, and he transforms it into a memorial stone. It becomes a place of praise, of remembrance, a marker in his story of who God is and what God has promised and what God has done and what he will do. Do you see what Jacob realizes, what God has taught him and what God is teaching us? Every place in your life that is a place of insignificance is a nameless place. God wants to work in your life for you to give it a name. For you to give it significance as a marker in your story. And every rock of pain, God will transform into a stone of praise. Think about your life. I want you to think about your life. Think back on your life. How many times in your life did you look back and you say, God was with me in that place, I just didn't know it. God was working in my life, I just didn't know it. I thought God had abandoned me. I thought I was alone. I thought that heaven and earth were so divided, God was nowhere near to me, and yet God was delivering messages of hope and of grace and truth, and he was faithful all the way through. And so now, when, when I was in that moment, I thought it was a rock of pain. Now I look back, that's a stone of praise. Isn't that true? You look back and you say, these are now markers in my story to praise God for who he is. In the moment, it was painful and it was difficult. And I'm not discrediting my emotions in the moment, but guess what God has done? Because this is what God always does. He takes the pain and he transforms it into praise. Because he's faithful. He's faithful to us. He wants to take everything in our life that we think, well, God can't be in this. Yes, he is. He's all around, and he's near to you. Listen, I want you to hear this, because if you look back on your life and you think about all those memorial stones that have been set up, if someone were to ask you, how has God worked in your life? What have you seen God do? You could rattle off all these memorial stones that you never knew in the moment they would be those, but God has transformed them into it. What does that tell you? Is that whatever place you're in right now, you're not stuck there. You're not stuck there. Whatever place you're in, you may feel directionless. You may feel despairing. You may feel in a place of pain. You may feel alone. You may feel like God has abandoned you. None of those things are true. You may feel them and you need to work through them. And you need to be honest with your emotions. We talk about that all the time. But God is working in your life. And he's going to transform every rock of pain into a stone, something valuable of praise. God is creating stones out of rocks. He is polished and valuable and beautiful. He's creating stones out of rocks. I want to close with this example. Listen, I want you to hear this because I think this is, has, has been such deep encouragement to me this week. It's something that I've seen for the first time in my life and I want to share with you and it's been of great comfort. So, there's an exercise I'm going to set this up with so you can really understand just how amazing God is. 
his transcendence, his eminence, how he's personal, and how he's faithful. I want to do a breathing exercise, okay? All it requires of you is to breathe, okay? You're all doing that right now anyway, so don't get worried, okay? Can we all take a deep inhale, and we're going to do a slow exhale. Ready? Okay, let's do it together. Ready? Feels good, right? Let's do one more. Satisfying. Have you seen, there's a lot of studies that have come out about breath. How breathing right and focusing on your breathing is focusing, it's healing, it's settling. Obviously, it's life-giving because you got to breathe to live. Have you ever thought about why we're made that way? Like, breath has to be one of the things we take most for granted, you know? How many times have you woken up or gone to bed and said, thank God that I'm breathing today? You know, sometimes maybe, but we don't even think about it. We're just always breathing. But breathing is so important, not just because it's how it sustains life, but it tells us so much about us because your breath actually reveals your emotions. A deep sigh reveals pain, discomfort, fear. A little breath, joy, rapid breathing, exhaustion, panic, fear, or just slow, relaxed breath you don't even notice. Relaxed or sleeping. Your breath tells you something about how you feel or the position or the place that you're in. You know God, there's, there's multiple names for God. Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Elohim, Lord. But there's one name that God reveals that is his name, his holy name. And that name we refer to as Yahweh. In the Bible, whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, that is the name Yahweh. Now, we, the church, we say God's name Yahweh, but it's actually not written that way in the Bible. So if you look at this slide, Y-H-W-H is how it's written in the Bible. So that is God's revealed name. It means I am who I am. But that's even kind of mysterious if that's the entire meaning. It's that God is who he is. It's it's the name for God. It doesn't need any other explanation than that. But it's a peculiar name because it is four consonants put together in the Hebrew alphabet. We have made it into Yahweh because it sounds like that. We added the A and the E. But it has no consonant. It has no vowels. It's only consonants. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is the name of God meant to be spoken? Now, Jews don't speak this name because it is the holy name of God and it should not be uttered from your lips. We believe that God reveals his name to us because he wants us to say his name. He wants us to praise his name and and pray to him with his name and cry out with his name. That's why the church has added A and E. But here's what's so interesting. Hebrew scholars, when they study the name of God, Yahweh, they have found that Y-H-W-H, when put together, is actually the sound of breathing. Listen to this. Did you hear that? When you inhale, Y-H, that's why it says Yah, sounds like you're saying Yah when you have a deep inhale. And exhale, Y-H, 
sounds like way. Y-H-W-H is the sound of breathing. What does that mean? That means every time you breathe, you're declaring God's name. Every time you breathe, you are declaring God's name. Genesis chapter 2 says that when God formed us in his image, how did he form us? Through his breath. You are formed by God's breath. You are breathing God's name. Even when you don't know it. This whole service, you may have been distracted thinking about what's happening in work tomorrow. And you're like, i got to focus on my church. You know? You've been breathing God's name the whole time. Every time when you're in a place of distress and pain and discomfort and depression and you feel alone and abandoned and you're taking those deep breaths or those panic breaths, you're breathing God's name. When a baby is born and has its first breath, it's declaring God's name. When someone passes away and they utter their final breath, they're declaring God's name. When someone says, I don't believe in God, they are actually declaring God's name. Every time you breathe, you are declaring God's name name. Would you allow your breath to remind you that God is near to you? Would you allow your breath to remind you that God is working in your life? When you feel alone and uncomfortable and there's no way that God could work in my life, I've terminated it. No, even when you're thinking that and saying that, you're declaring and praising God's name. Every moment of your day, God's name is coming out of your mouth. You just don't know it. I pray that now you know it. I think that's why the Apostle Paul writes this. Listen to this. Changes this verse completely. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. God's Spirit is right alongside helping us. If we don't know how or what to pray, we don't have the words. It doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, out of our breath. Even your breath is prayer. The Holy Spirit is making those the very prayers of your heart. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be people that understand who God is. That yes, he is transcendent and he is eminent and he is personal. He's speaking to you through his word, through other people and through prayer. And that he is faithful. And every time you begin to doubt that, would you even allow your breath to remind you that God is near and that he's working and that he's good? He is in your life right now, whether or not you recognize it, taking rocks of pain and transforming them into stones of praise. Do you believe that? Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the God that you are. You are not a God of works. You are not a God of obligation. You are a God of grace. You have invited us, your people, your church, to experience you fully as we can through faith, through your spirit. God, your very name is on our breath. I pray, God, that we would be people that are quick to realize you. We are easily distracted, we are broken. We are oftentimes in between two difficult things and yet we don't know it. We are running from things. We feel directionless. We feel despairing. We feel like we're facing deep pain. And those things are real. And you meet us there, God. You meet us in our most basic level. And you're gentle and you're compassionate. 
I pray, God, that we would know that. For even in that place, when we feel insignificant and our head is on a rock, you come to us with a reminder of who you are. That we are your people. That you are faithful and you are speaking loudly and you are near. How could you not be near every time we breathe? It's your name. God, I pray that you would really work in us, deepen that understanding of who you are in our heart, in our minds, and when we respond out of that just like Jacob, would we leave this service worshiping? Whatever we came in here with, Lord, would you put it to rest, and would you rise worship within us, praising you how awesome is this place, for you are in it. Thank you for your grace, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.